Welcome to Death Holler, the place of haunted hearts and haunted homes. We welcome you to Death Manor, the home that boasts the most ghosts. Come on in. We've been expecting you. Take a look around. You might see someone that you recognize. Do you hear those voices? That's just the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. They're so happy to see you. Sit back and relax. Make yourself at home. Your new home. And remember, when you're in Death Holler, listener discretion is always advised. We hope you enjoy the show. So, how are things going, Urena? I've been doing some real spooky season things lately, and I'm so excited. Uh, what was that mean? You've been out there hitting up the targets and all that to get, uh, or no, it'd be <laughs> Home Depot trying to get that 12-foot skeleton, I believe. Oh, I want that 12-foot skelly so bad. I have so many regrets from the, it was, I want to say 2020, maybe, yeah, I don't know if it was 2020. I know it was COVID time, so maybe. And my child really wanted the 12-foot skeleton. I was like, let's get the mausoleum. And I don't get me wrong, I love my mausoleum entrance it goes perfectly around you know the entrance to my house but I haven't been able to get my hands on a 12-foot skelly and um to say the least regrets have been had but no uh spirit halloween is open okay they okay, have yeah. a lot of killer clowns merch this year interesting yes <laughs> killer clowns um, from outer space merch yeah it's they had that what they had that as a, a haunted house down there at Universal Orlando, uh, like in 2019, the very first year that me and my wife went to that, at the Halloween Horror Nights. And I love that house and all the merch they had that year. And I'm really jealous because you all have out there, you have Killer Clowns too. Oh, shit. Because they got the Chiodo brothers to come out and give them a, I don't know, like a, what they would have done as a sequel, and they took those ideas and made a house out of it, and that's amazing. Yeah, I they're going to have La Llorona, too, from what you showed me, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it looks yep. so fucking good. And I'm just like, I, I don't believe we're going to make it down there. It's, it wasn't in the plans. We usually go every other year, uh, and there's no way we're not going to do it the way you and I discussed where you pay for the fast passes. There's no way we're not oh, going to yeah. do that. And it's, it's so expensive, but it's so worth it. I mean, to just skip right into, you basically just walk right into the house. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's as bad out in California, but it, down in Orlando where they've got so much distance between the houses, it's worth it. If nothing else, like by the, if you're doing multiple nights, like by the third or fourth night and you're just tired of, cause the lines, even if there's nobody in them, you still got to walk these queues that they've designed. And yeah. It's a bunch of switchbacks and, and I mean, like, if you go to the express version, it's like a straight shot right to the house. And it's like me and my wife literally last year were just using the express just to get even on nights where there wasn't anybody around, really, just to get past, you know, straight shot to the, the house so we wouldn't have to stand or, you know, walk that line as much. Yeah, you're basically not into the human maze. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Oh, those are annoying. We did a few of those before we just buckled down and bought the fucking fast passes. We were only going to Universal for one night. Um so oh, at that point, yeah. and it was kind of a surprise. We weren't sure we were going to make it. I was just hoping we would. Uh, and we were like, we're not going to be able to see anything if we don't get these passes. Yeah, it, it depends on when you go to. I mean, we're going in early September this year. So I'm hoping that like what I'm doing is we're, we're going three nights. The last night is a Friday night, which is always busy. So I got Express already for that. Uh, had to. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, the two nights before that, they got this thing called a Russia Fear Pass, where basically for the price of two t- less than two tickets, you can go the entire month of September. So why oh, not? Shit. Even if you're only going for like you know three days, yeah, it's cheaper. So we so we're gonna go Wednesday, which is middle of the week, usually not as bad, and, and Thursday without express and try to hit up different houses if, if it gets really bad and then like friday night just go through everything again so i'm so jealous i did not know <laughs> that they okay so the Terra tram the one that i went on last year when we lost the kids which i gotta post mm-hmm. that on tiktok uh <laughs> that was that was insane that's a good way to get your real fears going but uh, i did not know they did a Terra tram every year yeah uh hollywood does yeah um, they don't do anything like that at Universal and Orlando. They don't have that set up. I mean, so it's it's a little bit different down there. But yeah, they and you all got lucky because the Purge, I think, is a good setup for that. I've heard that they've done well. They might have something separate than that. I've heard The Walking Dead is there every year at the one in California, and it's like a permanent thing. It's now. a permanent. I, it's been yeah. You can go any time of year, and it's there. Yeah, and it's I don't know. That's that's a little dull to me, but you know, because I like where they switch things up. But yeah, you know. But uh, Terratram tends to have different things in it. I mean, because of the nature of how they've got, you know, it's mobile and all that. They they have different things there that they can't have at Orlando. I thought the Purge was perfect because I had never, but I had ne- never been on a, um, a Terratram yet. The Purge one, I thought worked so perfectly. You had shit on fire. You had just different <laughs> scenery and everything uh, that it worked out so good. I, that I don't know how they're going to make anything else, how they would make anything else work. However, I, apparently there's people on TikTok that did not like the Purge one, and they're like, hopefully it's better next year. And I'm like, wow, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I had made a comment on TikTok. It, the comment alone is blowing up. But I made a comment of like, oh, my God, that one time I lost my kids during the Purge, you know. <laughs> It was everyone, the stampede, and everyone was like, oh, my God, did you find them? No, I didn't find them. They're still at Universal Studios. Um, hopefully their spirits will be working there this this coming season. <laughs> and you'll, you'll be able to claim them then. Yeah, I'll go back for them. Don't worry, everyone. Um, so did you actually end up getting anything from Spirit Halloween? No, not yet, because I want everything, and I can't afford it right now. But the kids did get some spooky shirts. Uh, daughter got one of those. I don't know if everyone's familiar with that artist that does old-time, it looks like old-time school books of, you know, learning how to count and doing basic things, but instead it's very demonic stuff. I want to yeah. say his name's Frank something. Anyways, I could be completely off about that, but she got one of those, and it was the last one she got was uh, Adopt a Familiar. So it was a black cat. Oh, okay. And the one she got this time was a demon cat one. Uh, and my son got a um, trick or treat themed shirt. And they have really, really upped the merch for a trick or treat franchise. And all amazing shit, too. I just wish that they would hurry up and make a sequel. Well, I don't want them to hurry, but I want them to make a sequel at some point. And if they keep throwing those shitty, I mean, I'm sorry, people might love them, those Godzilla movies out to Mike Dartery, <laughs> and like he keeps getting distracted, I'm going to be upset. I want my Halloween sequel now. Yeah, I mean, or, or I want trick my or treat. Trick or treat sequel. Oh, I knew what you meant, but because that's the <laughs> ultimate Halloween film. But, yes. I mean, 
there's got to be a reason he hasn't jumped on it. He wants it to be just as amazing as the first, and you know a lot of people are, like, really betting on this thing being amazing. Yeah, and the and the problem is, I mean, he's got a pseudo-sequel sequel already built. He's got, like, a comic, uh, you know, or, well, it's a graphic novel, if you want to call it that, a series of comics that, like, showed what he would have did in a second movie. And the theme is not as coherent, as not put, as well put together as the first one, so I don't think it would do as well if he goes straight off of that comic. It's not a bad comic. There's actually good things in it, and some of them are actually, the horror is, is ratcheted up quite a bit more. It's almost more like a Tales from the Dark Side type situation than, than the original Trick or Treat movie. But I feel like he's going to need to, like, for fans of the original, he's going to need something a little bit more coherent to tie it together than what he's got in those comics because there's not the overall story that, you know, like in the first one that kind of ties every, everybody together. Yeah, I don't know. It was such a good and iconic first one. I'm almost afraid of a second one to come out, but it's Mike Darty, so I think I'm going to have a little bit more faith. Yeah, I mean, he's done Krampus, so, I mean, if he was going to really shit the bed, that, that movie would have been it, I mean, as far as, you know, doing that, and I feel like he knocked that out of the park, too, for yeah. what it was. He has not disappointed um, us yet. <laughs> Speaking of that, I have, I mean, well, in, in a similar sense, I've I seen a, a movie yesterday that I have to, you know, brag about because it's it's not common that you get on a streaming service and you see a movie and like from the trailer you're like i gotta watch this thing but day shift with jamie fox and snoop dogg of all people <laughs> and uh, i think dave franco was the other per- major you know like or third star in the movie it's i loved it i love that movie um i mean it's not the best thing ever but like think blade but with a humor ratcheted up and that's what you've got with it yeah um, it's not and it's not just the comparisons that Jamie Foxx is a black guy, you know, like Wesley Snipes. It's not that. It's the fact that he is a blue-collar style vampire hunter going out there and, like, you know, and just kicking these vampires' ass. And, I mean, it's the, the lore in the, in, is well done in it. They've, they've got the setup for a whole, like, series of sequels if they want to go that route. Um, and the fight scenes are amazing in it. Like, there is a scene in the middle of the movie where he meets up with these brothers who are uh, kind of maverick, you know, rogue vampire hunters. In the movie, it sets up that most people are part of this organization called the Union, which has, like, its own rules about when you hunt vampires and all that, kind of like Men in Black, if you want to think of it yeah. that way. <laughs> and, and if you're a member of it, you get health benefits and other stuff like that, which is funny. Oh, my but God. But if you're just a rogue, if you're a rogue vampire hunter, you just, like, sell, you, you basically sell the vampire's fangs that you uh, collect to like these pawn shop brokers, which Peter Stormare, who we talked about in the previous season, and Constantine played Satan in that. Um, he plays one of them, and it's just it's it's a cool setup. It's just like you know these skeezy guys. It's like you know you bring in they're bringing in the fangs, and they're like, well, this one's a, a juvie, so it's only going to get you like three hundred bucks. If you brought us an elder, we might have been able to get you a couple of thousand or something. You know, it's one of those things. Oh my god! And uh, <laughs> and. Uh, they actually use Snoop Dogg to a, a decent degree. They make him into a badass, and that, considering it's Snoop Dogg, that, that I don't know, something about that just make, just makes me laugh. He comes off um, so laid back on and everything he does, and just the see he plays the same character. So I would, I'm actually very curious to see him in this film. Yeah, he's more of like this this uh, badass cowboy in this. Like, oh, nice! I mean, he's got like you know cool Stetson hat, and he's a trick shot. I mean, you know, it's 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 a cool movie. Like they don't they play it 
they play it more for like the badass scenes, the action scenes, than they do necessarily for any horror. There's no horror in the movie, you know. But, yeah. Um, Look at but, Snoop Doggy um, Dog has some range, y'all. <laughs> and uh, one of the brothers that they meet that in that halfway point in the movie where they have all those kick-ass scenes of them fighting, I want to say it's like 30 or 40 vamps. It's like one after the other, and they're doing all this, you know, crazy flipping back and forth all these like they're like one brother like cocks his gun and slings the bullet to the other one who like does this maneuver where he catches it midair and loads it and i don't it, i mean but the one of the brothers in it uh is off of um i want to say it's shameless if you've ever watched that the the guy who played the next door neighbor to the family like he was uh he was uh, married or dating the, the black lady or whatever, and it was the two of them that lived next door to the family in Shameless. But um, haven't seen him in a hot minute, and it was kind of interesting to see him. And uh, he's he's actually very appropriate for the part. He looks like like a big action hero in this, so it was kind of cool. Well, holy shit! So that's a it's a good recommendation for you if you got Netflix. Watch Day Shift. Speaking of that, the hubs just stepped in. He's going to throw his cans on real quick. Have you seen, um, God damn it, what movie was it again? Not Shameless. Um, Well, Shameless is one of the characters in it, but Day Shift. Day Shift. came on Netflix. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I've seen it pop up, but I haven't watched it. I wanted to watch it like Jamie Foxx. All right. Apparently, we need to check it out. It's really fun. Yeah, he's a vampire slayer, if I remember. Yeah. Him, Snoop Doggy Dog, and Dave, Dave Franco. I can live without Snoop. I, 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 I heard like he him. Actually, said he was great. I got to edit that out now. <laughs> Reverend actually said he was um, <laughs> that he was uh, actually pretty good in it. Yeah, I mean, don't expect like you know Oscar level acting by any means, but I mean, he's it's it. You know, I was like, oh shit, it's Snoop Dogg. This is going to be a horse shit, and like he actually gave oh, you know a what? little bit of a care to it. So let's move on. <laughs> let's have a fucking show. All right, well, start that uh, music up. I oh, yeah. People at the door. <laughs> Let's let them in. I'm going to throw out there spoiler alert for anybody who wants to watch these movies. They both have twists and they, they will get ruined this episode. There's no way around it. And they're, they're old movies at this point. So, it, you know, if you're listening to this, it's kind of on you to, you know, go watch them before you listen to the rest of it. But uh, yeah, I'll never understand people that don't watch a movie and then they listen to a podcast and they're like, why did you ruin that? And it's like, why didn't you watch it? Well, that's like the other day I saw that Red Letter Media had to review it for Prey, and I've been wanting to watch it, and I'm just like, I like these guys, but I'm not going to watch this until I see them because they're going to they're going to have spoilers. I mean, it just goes along with it. Yeah, that movie is actually pretty good. That's that's what I've heard. I, I have yet to see it, but I'm I'm getting ready to. Yeah the the um, reviews that Rain Man did and the review I heard my husband give of it on his most recent Blue Collar BS, they were identical. Yeah, they, you actually had a character who sh- it showed, like, instead of showing the woman amazing with nothing, this gave you the, the all the hard work that you can see that she put in to become a good hunter. 
Like the thing I criticized most about all the mainstream stuff, they nailed it. Yeah, I've heard it's the, the the and also it's I've heard it's not that preachy about like you know men bad you know woman you know hear me roar type thing that a lot of these new movies do that it you know has a little bit of that but it's it's mostly like the guys are on par with her like she's not like a Mary Sue if if you want to use that term yeah uh, she is in some instances but it it comes off believable to a degree. You're you're sold the you're sold the sell on the cut on the on the individual because they did a good job with the story arc. Okay, yeah, I got you. And that, I've heard that. Well, the one thing I've heard from in a critical review of it, uh, because listening to Nerdrotic and uh, uh, Geeks and Gamers, they they were down on it, but they said that it was because she's got a lot of plot armor toward the end of the movie. Like she ends up like there's a lot of things that she kind of shrugs off or that don't don't happen to her. That you know that it's kind of like how did how did this not happen? And it's kind of like mm, you know she's she's the protagonist that 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 doesn't happen to her. You know that kind of thing. Well, I heard that a lot of it's part a of lucky it, scenario on her part. Lucky. I also heard that she wasn't viewed as a threat as much as like her brother was. Oh yeah, they they cover that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so she wasn't taken seriously, which is. From what I heard, La Arena loves a fucking spoiler. I I don't give a fuck if I want to hear the podcast. I will listen to it before I watch the show. I'm terrible, so but um so I did listen to a few reviews of Prey, uh and it just sounds like you know it doesn't sound like she 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 had a lot of failures before she be she became the quotation mark hunter that she becomes. So well, even the one thing I. Go ahead. I was going to say the one thing that I heard that that was good is that a lot of people are giving shit. It's like, well, you know, you know, Arnie and the rest of them had to outsmart their predator, and this one seems dumb. But then I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, are all predators the same? I mean, this could just be a dumbass that was came to earth. He's more he's more aggro than the other one was. Well, yeah, isn't this to, the early know... stages? Like, isn't this way before? Is isn't this like a prequel? Oh, for sure. Yeah, this is like you know, one hundred and fifty plus years or so, or more than you know, than what the original Predator movie was, and it's like you know, it, it, this could be. I mean, the Predator himself could be like you know, just like a brute. Like he doesn't like he's. I've heard he's more about his like brute strength than the one in the in the you know the Arnold movies. So. Yeah, not using his smarts and things like that. Not using his fucking cover or whatever he has. Yeah. So. No, he uses that. It it's a good movie. You got to watch it. Because uh, she's she learns from all the failures of all the other hunters is what she ends up learning. So it's which n- is which makes sense plot wise. I mean, correct. you see somebody if you if you see somebody fail a certain way, you you learn from that, or you're an idiot. Yeah. Well, her character had to be more observant because she wasn't as good of a hunter, so she'd spend more time trying to observe things and was picking up the stuff that no one was paying attention to. I hear that too coming from this is the time where men were the hunters and women were gatherers. She had way more to fucking prove too. Like they weren't just going to fucking you know carry the, for her. The problem with the sh- the story does fall short fall short is the fact that back in those days they would have just beat her in in reality. Yeah, which tribe was this? It, it was an Indian tribe, but well, they, yes, it was, but it was a specific one. I Comanche. think it was the Comanche. It was the Comanche. Yeah, they, yeah. They, yeah, they're brutal. They, especially would, them. They, they would just beat her to death when she stepped out of line. 
Yeah, they. I don't know. I feel like they treat a lot of the the native tribes as you know, like this uniform thing, and that, yeah. and which is whole horse shit because the Shawnees and the Comanches are too drastically. You know, that's just two. You know, of the uh, different tribes, but they were drastically different how they approached a lot of their stuff. So I mean, it, it's kind of. I mean, it's really racist for the people to say, "Oh, well, they all felt this." It's like no, no, no they didn't. Human race is <laughs> uniform in how they, you know. Well, there's a really good book, The Empire of the Summer Moon. It's a hell of a good book. It follows the Comanches, the, it, it, like chronological events and the people they would steal and the stuff they would do, man. Like, you learn really quick that I don't care what you say, man. The Indians are savages, dude. They had traditions that, that, that are pretty cool, but for the most part, there was no structure where they were going to move forward from where they were. Oh, there's, there, yeah, there's a lot of history like that that we can get into, but, uh, you this is death holler <laughs> and we talk about <laughs> horror in these here parts. Um, welcome back everybody. This was originally going to be considered a special presentation of death holler, but, uh, we just kind of grew it up to a full sized episode cause we got to talking and there's, you know, a bunch of stuff we added to it. Um, I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. Death and I see dead people. And joining me as always is one of those dead people I frequently see and hear, La Urena. It's <laughs> you, me. Urena? It's me. I'm dead people. Um, how did things go with your ghost nanny? She is did a, you have to fire her? Yeah, she's a bitch, and I know she was eyeing my man too. <laughs> Helga is not welcome back on these here grounds. I thought that I could trust her. She had a mustache, and she still thought that she could uh pawn over my man's so she had to go she and, was one of those freaky ghosts from the last episode i see I yes gotcha. uh is there anything more annoying than meeting ghosts that don't realize they're unalived as the tiktokers say well <laughs> today we take a look into this particular subject as well discuss the impact one m night Shyamalama ding dong had on horror films so turn up the volume on your tape recorder, wrap up a little tighter as the chill in the air means La Urena is pissed, <laughs> and listen in as we review the 2001 film The Others and, of course, the huge 1999 hit The Sixth Sense. Um, as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, we would appreciate if you could take the time to like, comment, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Uh, it helps us get more visibility, and it helps us grow. So thank you, everybody, who is listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. Yes. Um, I didn't do an Attack of the Bees this episode. Sorry, just we, we like I said, we didn't originally plan this to be a full episode, but uh, Donnie G confided to me recently that he sees dead people as well as I do, and uh, in his case, they're usually nude and down to fuck, so <laughs> thrilled to discuss his paranormal experiences. Uh, he had time to share this with us. Oh, boy. And now, it's time another episode of I think I downloaded the wrong movie hello all of my beautiful perverts it is I Donnie G coming to you once again and today we are discussing on if the look but don't touch rule of the strip club applies even after the strippers are dead and haunting you because that seems to be the issue with Francis, who is a lonely, nerdish man who encounters the ghosts of four seductive strippers in his small apartment in the sexy sixth sense. Jesus Christ was this bad. Uh, if you listen to my review on Amityville Vibrator, 
It wasn't quite that bad, but still, this was just barely porn. Uh, all of the talent in this film, they were all ghosts, and for some reason, they were trying to bang Francis. But of course, with them being ghosts, he wasn't able to touch any of them. So it just turned into them rolling around on the ground, trying to act like that they were getting stuffed. Also, this is just a personal preference. I'm not a big fan of overbearing music playing during the action scenes, and it's not only that being the issue, but the music, it was off-tempo, it was off-beat, and it didn't match up with the intensity of the action. Now, the movie, it wasn't all bad. It did have one saving grace. Uh, it gave us a peek behind the velvet curtain by showing us exactly what happens when the ghosts of four hot strippers get in the same room together. Yeah, they start fucking. <laughs> but in all honesty, aside from that one scene, this is very softcore porn. Kind of like late night Skinamax level, uh, which is why I'm just going to give it a 1.5 out of 5 eggplants. And the people over on IMDb, they happen to agree with me. Out of 534 votes, uh, they still gave it an astonishing 3.1 out of 10. Uh, long story short, uh, if you happen to find this online somewhere, just go ahead and fast forward to the all-girl scene and then just carry on with your day. And lastly, if this is your first time with the show, uh, you can follow us on Instagram. You can follow Death Holler at Death Holler Podcast. And you can follow myself at Big Bald M-F-E-R. If you would, just go ahead and give us a follow. That would help us out immensely. And until next time, fuckers, get fucked. That was naughty language. That was the lowest eggplant score he's given ever so far. Yeah, that was uh, that was surprising. As big of a hit as the Sixth Sense is, and they gave it a shitty porn parody. Uh, well, terrible. and when I when I saw the cover of that film, it was like I see dead lesbians. He should have like a rating system for softcore ones and hardcore ones. I think he just has a rating for how soft or hard he is. <laughs> this one's getting pushed rope. <laughs> this one's full chub. Full, full chub. I, I have a feeling he's he's doing this on purpose now. When we tell him we're watching a movie, he's purposely downloading. I'm starting to get the idea he's purposely downloading the wrong films. You, you think this is uh, this trend that's happened over like three or four episodes is is not just by accident at this point? I'm Come starting on. to think it's not coincidence anymore. <laughs> oh my bad, oh, wrong man. one. <laughs> let me watch this other one. Yeah, let me let me watch that one you talked about. Oh shit, there's nothing in it. Uh, zero <laughs> out of five. Yeah, <laughs> zero eggplants. Like, uh, what? We're not rating on egg. What does eggplants have to do with ghosts? <laughs> Oh, the first movie we're going to discuss this evening is The Others. Uh, the 2001 film directed, written, and uh, music was ma all made by Alejandro Aminabar. I guess is how you say that last name. Um, budge so that, that's pretty crazy that the guy even did the music. I mean, yeah. <laughs> which I don't know if you've seen the movie. 
you know, it, it, I mean, the music's not bad, but it doesn't stand out. I just threw it in there because I was just like, that's he did the music too. That's kind of crazy. You um, know what did stand out in this movie in relation, not so much to music, but sound was sound. Everything <laughs> was enhanced in this movie. Footsteps, turning of pages, grabbing things, moving, everything. Everything had a fucking sound to this movie. And it might be... It might be my DVD that I was watching off my Plex account or whatever, but it seemed like the the volume of the people speaking, I had to turn way down. But anytime that there was like a sound of something happening, it was like blasting my speakers out. Yeah, I, uh, I hate it when that happens in a movie. It's just, it's like, you're always, you know, it's like you're looking around, you know, like, oh, I woke up the neighbors on this one scene and I'm just trying <laughs> to, you know, actually hear what they were saying, you know. Um. Made for a budget of seventeen million U.S. dollars, it made a box office of two hundred nine point nine million. God, that is a damn. huge return! Yeah, holy fuck, it I, did I keep, really well. We keep running into this with and with the movies that we've done recently, the ones that do really well in horror. They, I mean, the amount of return on investment they give versus these fucking Marvel movies that are out now, like yeah, dude, it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> You know what's it's awesome like, is they're 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 coming out with a new VHS. I think it's this month. What? Yeah. Uh, the is the that movie series, I believe. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I hell the last one ninety four was hella good. They're coming out with a new VHS. No, it's no, a, it, it's an anthology. Okay. series yeah. based around the idea that they're playing these VHS tapes are basically snuff films. Okay. Yeah. Well, they're they're the like way. coded things where they. They they mess up your mind. They cause weird things. Okay. Oh but, oh oh yes yes yes. I remember that. Oh my god, we've discussed that before. I was thinking the actual. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're you were thinking like VHS is coming back that much. Actually, VHS is on the rise as far as like collecting. There's really these. Yeah, Gen Z like loves them, man. Like they're so if you cassette have, tapes. Like, if if you have VHS tapes laying around i would look them up on ebay you could get a lot of money out of them right now that's insane because the, the tape and the heads wear out i don't think they realize that <sighs> they they don't care they 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 like that old school they like how like shitty the video quality is versus like what they've gotten out that it's it's a weird thing like i understand going back to vinyl you know because it actually has a better sound in some ways than digital does but vhs is a downgrade all across the board yeah they, you know what? Everything about that generation's shitty. Okay, so just let them, Damn. let them wallow in their shit. <laughs> Maybe they and like the retro sound of it. Listeners in Denmark. I know. Oh, I know. We're not on Chartable this week, so I'm like, oh, guess we yeah. dropped off. Yeah, I don't think Raina's watching the VHS series movies. They're, I have. I've watched a few of them with you. Yeah, they're hell good. I, th- I think they. Uh, for some reason, I like the the small horror stories now. Like the ones you can get on YouTube from Alter and uh, a couple of the other ones that put those small independent horror movies up. They're like 15 minutes long. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Him and the kiddos watch those. They're pretty <laughs> horrifying because it's so short and you don't get any kind of um, closure. No. Well, no, a the, lot of them are no closure. Yeah. The good thing is, like, I watched, like, Scare Package. And, there's, and, and the thing about anthologies is there's usually one you really like, one that you hate, and then the rest are meh. You know, you're just kind of like, whatever. I don't care if I, you know. And Scare Package, the thing about that is it's got like five or six stories, like well, five stories with like an interstitial to connect them. None of them are great. There's a there's one that's like pretty decent, but it's like they're over so quick. That's the reason short horror is good. It's like they're over so quick. You're like, ah, I didn't spend all day watching that, so it's fine, you know. <laughs> are any of these on Shutter? 
uh, scare package is. That's Joe Bob actually had that on his show because I think he's in the last segment of that, which that segment was actually not bad, if I remember right. Yeah. Shutter, but- we are looking for sponsorship. If you would like to sponsor a little-known horror podcast that is pretty popular coming- in Denmark. And they are coming out with Scare Package, too. So, yes. I mean, if you want us to review that, we gladly will. We, just, we would like <laughs> some sponsorship, though, please. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Good night, everybody. That's the show. <laughs> uh, principal players for the others, uh, Nicole Kidman uh, plays Grace, the matron of the household, hyper-protective mother, and, oh, my God, Omega-level Karen. <laughs> yes. Never seen a performance of a Karen quite like this in all the times I've been watching movies. Now there is a horror movie called Karen, by the way, <laughs> I've heard about it. Karen, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that might be more. I've not seen it yet, but it's going to be hard to top Nicole Kidman in this. Like she's basically freaks out at everybody and blames everybody, but herself. And we realize later she's the one that fucking killed her own kids to begin with. So <laughs> who you blaming now, Karen, you know, <laughs> the horrors of everything around her. Duh. <laughs> life's so hard uh, life's so hard I've got to kill my kids and myself and then I'm going to blame these strange people that just came <laughs> my door for everything that's happening to me uh, she was obviously I mean she's been a ton of shit eyes wide shut with you know then husband Tom Cruise days of thunder that's probably where they met yes uh, Moulin Rouge was kind of her on the you know eyes wide shut began the divorce Moulin <laughs> Rouge kind of extended it this is in a trivia. They got divorced like t- literally two days before this movie premiered. So like he produced this movie with her. That was, it'd be kind of weird. You know, they were that far on the outs whenever he was, they were making this together. But Wait, whatever. eyes wide shut. No, this movie, the others was oh, the okay. very last thing they ever did together. He produced this and, sh- and they literally got their divorce finalized two days before this movie premiered. Wow. <laughs> they're yeah. not on friendly terms. They're like they don't talk at all. Um, maybe for so, the kids, but. It would have been really bad to be on the like the production of this movie if they were that like hardcore because he's producing it, she's acting. Maybe that's the reason she's such a you know uh, omega level Karen in this movie. I don't know, you know, but um, wow. she was in Batman for forever, which we can forget about if, Ooh. in my opinion, yeah. this ever having existed. She had one <laughs> sexy scene in that film. I mean, covered in those uh, silk sheets with the silhouette of her body engulfed that in them. It was a horrible movie. I never it said it was a good movie. Bad. I said the scene. <laughs> Killing of a Sacred Deer, which I've heard is pretty good, but weird. I've not watched it yet. That sounds Gosh. familiar. Uh, what's that about? It's supposed to be a really strange movie about this guy who goes hunting with his son, but then like there's I, I don't there's a lot of weird stuff that happens. It like it goes totally off the rail. Like the guy who made that is I mean like it has nothing to do with the actual plot that it starts out with. It's more like it, it goes in a lot of metaphysical type things i think is what i've read about it i think i've seen that it sounds super familiar did we lose him uh, she's oh. <laughs> she was recently in the northman with uh that's a hell of a good movie from uh robert eggers i haven't seen it, it did is, you get it and, yeah i want to see it you sleep like a vampire so you don't get to catch it <laughs> Uh, speaking of that, the uh, vampire in day shift is a Latina. So there you go. <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> I'm supposed to be a spirit, uh, not a vampire. Bewitched. You feel like a succubus sometimes. She was in sometimes. that with uh, Will Ferrell, I believe, was in that one. Uh, the you know remake movie they did of the TV series. And oh, yes. She, w- 
And then she, we mentioned on the last episode, one of the actresses in the last movie that we covered, I believe in the entity was in the original Stepford Wives. Well, Nicole Kidman was in the remake in 2004. She was in that version of the Stepford Wives. I don't believe I've seen either one of them. Um, been meaning to read the story. I've heard it's really good. It's a very good premise. I don't know that the films, I don't know about the first one. The second film, I liked it, but I wouldn't say that it's a good movie or that it was executed very well. What the Stepford Wives? Stepford Wives. the the second The second one feels more comical than anything. Yeah, <clears throat> and it's not intended to. So there's that. And there's and I can't remember the name of it. It's something uh, Darling uh, is part of the name, but there's a new movie coming out literally this year that looks like it's a, a take on the Stepford Wives. Like this, they're in this. Oh yeah, fifties oh, yeah. throwback. Yeah. yeah, that looks yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, it does look good, and I'm hoping that it turns out to be a, a pretty good movie. We have Christopher Eccleston playing Charles, a World War II vet, uh, lost father and husband, uh, and wandering spirit. Um, he's not, he's only in the movie for like, I want to say, 20 minutes tops, if he's even that long. I think it's maybe 15. Yeah, it's um, not that long. Well, from what I saw. <laughs> so he, so he's uh, dead, too? Surprise! Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> Man. Yeah, that's how. That's why he's My in the bad. fog is because she's. Well, we said at the beginning of the spoilers. That's. I mean, that's part of it. But like when she goes into the fog, that like the Mrs. Mills told her not to because she's caring and she doesn't listen to anybody. Um, while she's in the fog, that's kind of like the land of the lost. You know, according to spirits, almost like what in Beetlejuice would have been where the sandworms were at because she's not supposed to leave the property. Uh, that's where she died, so that's where she's going to be haunting at. And uh, in the fog, she finds her husband, and he's just wondering because, like, when he died more, he, you know, his spirit is just, is, like, lost in the mist, basically. Like, it's not anywhere, it's not tied to the battlefield or anything like that. See, and, and, and it doesn't really hit on how he died. Imagine he died more than. Yeah, I mean, it specifies. I mean, he even has to go, it doesn't so much say this in the movie, but it's pretty much just inferred that he has to leave because he has to go back to haunt the place where he died. Yeah, that's kind of what they hint at because he said, I've got to go back to the war. It's like yeah. he's been drawn back to the battlefield. But the war's over at this point. Yeah. Um, and it, and I don't know. And maybe it's been just a little bit after that because the way that the film takes place, it's like she says that, and, and of course the ghost, I mean, you know, time's relative, but like she says that her her staff left them a week earlier and that's before Mrs. Mills and, and you know, and, and the other, and, some, and Mr. Tuttle, you know, shows up. And so it's, it gives you the idea that like they've been dead for a week and she's, you know, and that's kind of how long it's been since, but like, it, I mean, we could have passed a, a generation by now and that's oh, just, yeah. and she not even realized it. Uh, of course, Christopher Eccleston, probably best known to a lot of people nowadays for the, being the ninth doctor in Doctor Who. Um, he actually, everybody gives him credit. I mean, him and Russell T Davies brought the series back from death. So there's, there's that. I mean, whether you like it or not, it, he, they did bring it back. He was only in it for one season though. He was, uh, in Thor dark world, which is, I don't know. Maybe it's still the worst Thor. I don't know. I've heard pretty bad things about love and thunder. So it might be still in contention that it's the worst Thor movie, but you know, there, there's that. Uh, did you all see that? Uh, Thor movie at all? No, nope. I wanted to, and Raina's like, no. I <laughs> I already Damn. made, I had a preset determination of what I thought think that film's going to be, and so far from what I've heard, I have not been wrong. I'd like to find out myself. Well, that's good. You can do that, but I... <laughs> I want to go do a look and see. 
um, he was in uh, G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra, uh, Legend, not the one that we covered, uh, not the, you know, the one about Satan, you know, the darkness, but the 2005 Tom Hardy one that everybody has on TikTok is like one of their memes. Oh, my what, God. What is it? Hold on. What is it? Legend, uh, the one that's where Tom Hardy plays like the the two twins or whatever. Yeah. One of them wears the, the glasses. And then the thing that was on TikTok is, you know, the one dancing with a cigar and he's like looking at the other one like what? You know, oh, you know, yeah. Like sitting on the couch like what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Which we recorded an episode of Legend, just so you know, babe, and I totally lost the episode. Like, just lost it. It's sitting on my computer, but it won't open. And <laughs> we, we don't think that episode will ever come back. Sweet. We had a lot of good information in that one, too. <clears throat> huh? We had a lot of good information in that one, oh too. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was such a long episode. Um, and he was in 28 Days Later, which is a very good zombie movie. Oh, yeah. If you, if you want to, well, or infected. Some people have issues calling them zombies in that because they're not technically dead, but whatever. Well, can they come back to life? Well, zombie doesn't mean uh, well, you have to be dead. If you follow the original uh, Caribbean idea of a zombie, it's like a voodoo yeah, curse where you're kind of, you're not, you're not who you are. Yeah, they're just they're mostly brain dead in the original like voodoo lore. Like they're yeah, be, because of you know oxygen deprivation or the the effects of the toxin whatever they can't they have no mind of their own. Yeah, uh, we have Fion Fionula or I don't know how you say Bless that you. name. F I <laughs> Fiona. We'll just say that I don't. Flanagan plays Mrs. Mills. She's the nanny, former head of house staff, dead person. Um. You know, she's actually one of the ones that admits she's dead in this movie because she, you know, they've been dead for a long time. Uh, she was in Waking Ned Divine, <laughs> uh, Four Brothers, American Gods, and one episode. So that's been fairly recent that she's been acting. Uh, a Christmas Carol, the one with Jim Carrey, I believe you discussed or brought up during our uh, Christmas episode this season. Mm hmm. And uh, Poltergeist Legacy, uh, which was a TV show based on Poltergeist. Uh, but I don't think it had anything to do with the show. It was more like they had cursed items or something that they talked about every episode. But she was the narrator on that. And she she was in a ton of murder she wrote. <laughs> and it was funny because one of the episodes listed was Nan's ghost that she was in. Oh, my considering God. Considering the fact that she played a ghost in the yeah. episode. That was kind of funny. Well, what was and it? She was, Hold on, what, what was that TV show from like the 80s, early 90s, where they had artifacts you were trying to collect? There were several of them. Friday the 13th did something like that, too. Yes. I don't know if, it, I, yeah. Was that the one where it was a TV show and they had like a pawn shop and they would try yeah, to that recover? that was what you were thinking of, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was a hell of a good show. They I might know. have that on Tubi. I've not. Uh, I know that they've got the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street series on there. I did not know they had a Friday the 13th show. Well, it's not based yeah, on Jason at all. It's oh. like it's not. It it's right up your alley though. The fact that so they it's a pawn shop and they specialize in getting these cursed trinkets off the market. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got to go and hunt them down. It's an actually hell of a good show. Is the pawn shop called Needful Things? No, but my <laughs> might as well be. <laughs> yeah, might as well be. Uh, she was also in the Ewok Adventure. If anybody's oh my still god, those movies, dude. <laughs> When I was a kid, I thought those were so good, and I watched them as I was an adult. Say, I, I loved them as kids, and I—they're so bad. Yes, <laughs> when you rewatch them, they're bad, bad. Uh, we have Eric Sykes playing Mister Tuttle, the gardener, unappreciated help, and another dead person. Uh, most of the people in this movie are dead, folks. There's there's very few live people in this movie, just so you know. 
he was actually in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. That's been his most recent thing he was in, which is surprising. Um, I guess just because he looked so old in this, I didn't, you know, yeah. like, you know, the difference in years, but he was in Harry Potter. Uh, and he was in a tons of TV, British TV. I've never heard of any of this stuff, but it was all, it was all based on his name. Like he had like, I mean, like four or five different shows that had some version of Mr. Sykes or, you know, Sykes, you know, whatever. And he, he, and according to trivia, he must've been a big deal because like, uh, Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise fought to get him in the movie for that part that he played. Like wow. he loved his stuff that much. We have Elaine Cassidy playing Lydia, the mute, unappreciated house staff, and dead person suffering from shock. And I'll get into that a little bit later <laughs> in the discussion. Um, she was in a TV show called The Ghost Squad, which is appropriate. Uh, a Discovery of Witches, which I think is fairly recent. And she was in that abomination called The Dark Tower movie that had, you know, Matthew McConaughey and Idris Elba in it. And, uh, you know, and... I, if you've ever read the books, that that movie is just a just a, more than a slap in the face. They they raped you if you watched that. I'm sorry <laughs> that they did. <laughs> we have Alakina Man playing Anne, the daughter. I am, uh, and then light uh, allergy having ghost child, James Bentley playing Nicholas, the son, and light allergy having ghost child. And rounding out the cast, we have Renee Asherson playing the old lady, the uh, which is the blind psychic, and she is not your daughter. <laughs> so you know. Oh my god. Everybody knows what I'm trying to reference there. There was a scary movie parody. I think it was three, uh, when they stopped being made by the Wayans and stopped being as good, but then they did a parody of this movie and I think it was Michael Jackson. Oh my god. And and he was like, I'm not your daughter and he was like, Hee hee you know, and did all that stuff. So that's a pretty funny scene. (laughs) That's ignorant. That's ignorant. <laughs> so synopsis after finding her wait staff has abandoned ship the matriarch and presumed widow of a wealthy family welcomes three new caretakers to her large mansion insistent upon a very strict set of rules requiring the constant locking and unlocking of doors yeah. and absolute absence of light in order to protect her children the matriarch finds her worldview on life and death threatened by unseen forces Pianos play by themselves an old blind woman crosses the threshold between worlds and peak Karen status is attained Ha <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, in the, the, what I was getting at with that one, the, the mute being like shocked or whatever, like they reveal, like Mrs. Miller reveals later on that when she discovered that they, when I think it was Lydia first, uh, discovered that they were dead. Like she basically became mute because like it was such a shock to her system and she's never spoke since. Yeah. It was the last thing she ever said is, Oh my God, we're ghosts. And yeah, we're dead. It's like, <laughs> Cutscene. Um, so, what do y'all think about like just the the visuals of the movie? Um, I mean, they're pretty basic. I mean, they were, but I, I don't know. I'd like the scenes of the old style era feel. Like, yeah. for some reason, like even the movie, like The Witch, something about the time era where communication is lacking, and you have to it it you can't communicate with people that easily and and not even that but it something about that that kind of structure of her story and i like them way better like that for that reason it, that that older feel cuz it it it's more of a sense of the unknown to for for the most of it i think it lends well to those movies when they if especially if they're executed good i thought this one was i i'll tell you why i think that it works is because it's pretty basic, yes, but they heightened everything with sound, like I told you. I mean, 
going through photo albums and everything, yeah, that's important to be able to see, you know, like she had the Book of the Dead and everything. Great. You know, that's supposed to be creepy. But really, everything she was doing, there was just so much sound around it. It would have been boring without at least that. I I agree with you. That kind of works the sound aspect into it. The one thing that I I like about this movie is the the constant fog outside. It, yeah. it forms the barrier of where they where their haunt basically exists. Like you don't like they played off in the movie. Like if you're watching it the first time, it's like oh well, there's been just this horrible you know like weather lately, and it's set in England, so you can kind of believe it's just you know overcast, awful looking outside all the time. But it's, I mean, when she actually goes into that, you know, ever-present mist and kind of gets in the no-man's land out there, it's like, I mean, it's a cool visual representation of the the barriers of where, you know, her haunt, you know, actually can extend to. Oh, yeah, it gets super thick, super fast. Also, did you notice that at the boundaries of her home are the iron gates? Oh, yeah, yeah. Did yeah, she make iron... it through? I don't, I don't know that she made it through those gates to get into the fog. Did she ever make it past those gates? I think, well, I think, yeah, I think there's like, she crossed under like uh, an arch or something, which we've already discussed that. You know, yeah. Like there's that whole thing, you know, about arches and, but she actually did cross under the arch and, and, you know, go out into the fog. I mean, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's her, it was her unbelieving nature that allowed her to get through there. I mean, unbelieving the sense that she's dead because, I mean, that's one of the thing, themes of the movie is like, she's super. Catholic, and she doesn't believe in an afterlife that doesn't mean heaven or hell. Like, there's no in-between. Oh, my God. So, that's the reason she's, you know, she doesn't accept the, you know, that she's trapped, basically, on the earthly plane. Yeah, for lack of a better term, she is Catholic as fuck in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And and getting back to what Noah said that I really appreciated, the fact they said it in this time period also allowed you to have that that mindfuckery, at least at first the first time you watch it, because where it was a remote house, like mansion, out in the middle of nowhere in that time period, it, it allowed them to isolate them a lot more than if you said it in modern times. There's no way with like modern conveniences that you could create this story the same way. Well, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons you get a lot of horror movies that fell because of, of that. That's I think that's one of the reasons VHS, the VHS series, does really good, especially going back in, in, in like the 94 and the newer one. You're stuck in an era mm-hmm. where, like, that's the whole reason Stranger Things is really good. It's you're there's a severed communication stream, so when problems happen, you can't just phone phone home for help. It it makes the movies yeah. work really good. Yeah, they they like to say it in modern times. Like if they do have like a you know a cell phone thing, it's always oh well they lost signal, which is believable in my neck of the woods. But I mean, if you're not talking about here, modern yeah. cities. Yeah, but if you're talking about modern cities, I you know that I'm just right out. Of the, I know right out of the movie when I see that. I'm just like, really, uh, you know, you lost signal in the middle of Detroit. Okay, that's fine. You <laughs> to know? be I fair, I could believe that in Detroit actually. <laughs> to be fair, Stranger Things has their one thing where all these kids have like military grade fucking radios. Well, yeah, to but, contact each other that probably cost a lot of fucking money back then. No, they. I bet you they didn't. If, if they bought them at a secondhand military store, like, yeah, maybe if they and they did have a military that surplus. Is true. Yeah, they did, and I they mean, worked that in the last season, so that kind of explains that a little bit. I mean, I guess there is also a lot of fucking weapons and shit they bought at that military grade store, which back in the day probably wasn't <laughs> as big of a deal. But no, it wasn't. They were probably like, "Yeah, you want doubles of this? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you might Two want to try one. this. It's yeah. really good." 
but I agree with you for the most part. Like it, it's a it's a very standard like you know type setup for that. I mean, there's no there's only like one or two scenes in it. We talked about the entity where like anytime that something was unreal, the director made it a point of like showing like weird angles for the the character to kind of set the you know kind of give the audience like that mindset that she, her her world is off kilter. So you know that's why the frame is off kilter. That happens in this a couple of times, but it's very minute. Like I barely noticed it. Like it doesn't stand out very much. Yeah, and, and it's just like pretty much. It's almost like a play that was filmed, and and you know, it's like one of those. It's like very, you know, like there's nothing stand out. I mean, there's nothing bad, but it's there's nothing like stand out about the visuals. It's I mean, it's pretty, you know, by the numbers to get the story across. Um, music wise, like I said earlier, I I mean, the music's fine. It it builds up when it needs to. I mean, it's not like got the problem that we talked about with some of the Japanese horror where it's like kind of out of sync with what they're trying to convey. It's just that I felt it was pretty generic sounding. I didn't really, there was anything that stood out about it to me other than the fact that, you know, the director did it, which is amazing that, you know, he has that talent, but it, it wasn't like, you know, John Williams or anything like that level of composure or anything. No, not at all, but it worked. Um, it, it just wasn't outstanding by any means. Um, but it, yeah. it at least the tone was right, though. At least you didn't have any comical, you know, funny <laughs> music. It, the music was very somber. It was very, it, it had a, a, a sense of spookiness to it without overdoing it. Um, and the music really didn't make the scenes as much as the actors' expressions. And again, the sounds, whether they were breathing in a strange way or the the tone of the voice, if it was like a scared whisper Etc. It was mostly sound and some basic visuals that kind of made this. Also, did you notice a little blue light in this at all, or am I am I am, am I crazy? I thought I thought I saw just a little bit of that. Not not in terms of the ring or you know the grudge. Um, I don't know if I saw. I, I felt like this one was more like desaturated almost like I felt like you know they didn't go the sepia route that mm -hmm. we talked about with the devil's backbone but I felt like it almost had that like when she was looking through the black and white you know death book basically it almost had that color you know color it almost took on like the fog you know gray about everything like very it, pale was, it, yeah yeah it definitely and, made the kids look look more ghostlier Oh, there's a reason those kids look ghostly. I'll get in that in the trivia. That could be considered child abuse, what they did to those children to get Ooh. them to look that way. But <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> it wasn't makeup. I, or, I mean, that added to it maybe, but it wasn't all makeup. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> so acting in the movie, like I – you got kid actors, so that's either hit or miss. I felt like the boy wasn't that great. The I mean, he was okay. Uh, the girl was obviously better, and that's the reason she features in the movie more prominently. She's also older, so there's that. Yeah. Uh, Nicole Kidman sold Omega Level Karen. I mean, like, she, she sold that part of it, you know, for sure. And uh, you definitely, she conveyed the anxiety that, like, her character basically lived in constantly. Um I kind of feel like the other characters, I mean, Mrs. Mills was the only one that really had much of an interaction with anybody, and I feel yeah. like she did a pretty good job. I mean, the rest of them were just kind of there. I mean, it was a necessity of the plot, but, like, they're, you know, but those were the main ones that stood out to me. Well, from what I saw um, in this film is that what, what was conveyed to me is that she, Nicole Kidman was under some fucking stress. Grace was her character's name. Yes. She was under some... Fucking stress, and in those days, it was like, 
it was very unknown what was going to happen to her if her husband didn't return. Now, granted, she comes from a wealthy family, or I don't know if he came from the wealthy family. They're living in this mansion, and she's got to do the everyday, day-to-day life stuff that there's no, other than, yeah, she's got, you know, a nanny there kind of doing the basics around the house and everything. She's still got to carry on. She's got to be, bear the weight of everything. And like, I don't know. I think she conveys that very well in her acting. She also conveys the loss pretty well of her husband. I mean, like, oh, you yeah. know, when he, when he comes back, I mean, you know, there's that whole thing, but she can tell when he comes back that he, I mean, even in her face, she realizes he's not there for a long time. Like he, you know, because he, he conveys, I mean, given Eccleston his due for the short amount of time he's in the movie, he conveys PTSD or shell shock, as they would call it back in those days, pretty well. Yeah. Because, I, mean, I mean, that's that's the gist. I mean, he's just like, in his eyes, I mean, he's gone. Like, you know, oh, yeah. He's, you know, he's not there with them. It's, you know, he's just kind of still on the battlefield, and that plays into pretty well, like, what's actually going on with his character. It really does. When I saw him, I was like, he's fucking dead. Like, <laughs> holy shit. Like, and then it's like, he's probably also in disbelief. Like, how am I here? Or I made it, you know? Like, how long yeah, well, am I going to be able to stay? Yeah, he's, I mean, I think he he gives that, like, off quite a bit. Like, whenever he's, this, you know, talking to his kids, he's like, I shouldn't be here, but I'm glad that I got to at least see you one last time, you know? Yeah, and then he's like, okay, off to war, that's over. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder had okay, and granted, this is of course I wonder moment, but like, did he know he was dead? Uh, and if he didn't, if she knew she was dead, I wonder if there'd be some kind of weird thing where they could not only stay or see each other again. Because even at the end of the movie, the kids are like, "Are we ever gonna see him again?" And she's like, "I don't know." It wasn't a no, we'll never see him again. Because he's like, "I gotta go," you know. You know how they say that, like, ghosts can be, like, in two or three different locations based upon, like, if they spent their life in one location, but then they died in another, they can be seen at either location. He kind of gives me that vibe that that's what they were going with. with Yeah. He died on the, you know, the battleground, so that's where he primarily at. But every once in a while, he might make his way back to the house just because, you know, he does have ties to it. Yeah. Now, since the kids are dead and they can now play in the sunlight, does that also mean that they could go on vacation and visit their dad on the war front. They can't die. They're like, hey, dad, how's it going? I'm in the middle of war. Yeah, we're dead. <laughs> it's cool, dad. Really? I don't think that they, I don't think that anybody there can leave because their their life and death is all wrapped up in that house. Like, yeah. that's the same thing with that, you know, Mrs. Mills, Lydia, and Mr. Tuttle. Like, that's the reason that they all came back. They keep coming back to that house or we're always there, you know, it's because they, they, you know, that's where they're, you know, the best parts of their life were at. So they can't let it go. Yeah. Ugh. And then the tuberculosis got them at the house. Tuberculosis apparently got everyone at that house. Got everybody back in the day period. Yeah. Yeah. But they were, yeah, you know, there's... what's so weird about that is they were technically quarantined. Cause they were, they're in the middle of fucking, of the fucking forest in this house outside, it was outside of Germany. Is that where this house is located? Uh, this was set on the Isle of Jersey, I believe, is where this was set at. I don't know exactly where that's located in Britain, but it's it's a little bit separate from like the Britain proper. I think that's you know that's kind of what they went with. It's kind of isolated even more. Yeah, they made it seem like it was just outside the danger area, 
and that, you know, they're barely able to escape, you know, Nazi forces and things like that, allegedly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anything? Was there anything, like, I mean, about the story that, like, stood out to you, like, any specific scenes or whatever? I mean, everybody remembers the scene, I'm your daughter, you know, like, that's the one, like, breakout moment that everybody had because, you know, you're still thinking that the little girl's alive and then you see this old crone, so you think she's been possessed, but it actually turns out in a cool way that it's reversed. The little girl possessed the old woman, um, and that's, like, how the ghosts see it. They see the other person in place of them, but... Um, I'm trying to think other than that scene, like I, I, I like the scene where the, it shows the living people for just a split set, you know, like that just for a few minutes and they're, and it shows the struggle they're dealing with because they really want to live there, but they're getting like Karen just like, yeah, is pushing them away. Like constantly. It's like, get out of my house. You don't belong here. You know, they're basically like the, they're this, you know, like a modern version of the Maitlands or an older version of the Maitlands from amazing. Beetlejuice. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> they're they're getting haunted, but the the ghosts inhabiting the house are like, no, you need to get the fuck out. Um, the scene, <laughs> and I had mentioned to you, the one scene that kind of got me, and it'll kind of roll into another movie that you know we're reviewing here shortly. But the scene where the kids are being forced to eat, and they're like, it tastes funny, and I was for certain that the mom was poisoning the kids. And that's it wouldn't not surprise at all me either because that, you know, Munchausen by proxy is exactly what the situation was in The Sixth Sense. And, I, you know, if you have, like, it wouldn't surprise me if Nicole Kidman's character in this wasn't doing the same thing. I mean, yeah. Maybe slowly trying I mean, to kill them and it didn't work out, so she smothered them to death. Yeah, early. because obviously, I mean, if she went to the process of smothering them, like she felt like there was no hope for any of them at that point. And if and if she'd been, and, you know, it said that her husband had been gone to the war and like missing for like, you know, months to years. So like how long has she been suffering from this depression? And like right before the kids died, they might have been poisoned. That might have been what that was. Yeah, maybe they were suffering and she was just like, oh, I can't do this. Um, it doesn't explicitly come out and say that because it says that they were technically smothered to death with a pillow. But, I mean, it's like, you know, that, that might have been like her, like, you know, final way of just, you know, saying we're done. Like, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Yeah. Um, but, she, but, but at least she didn't become a um, social worker in the, the next life, like in Beetlejuice. Those rules <laughs> did not get applied to her. So there's No, that. she would not be a good, maybe a manager, but... <laughs> Do you remember anything of the film that stood out? No, I I wish I would have rewatched it. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it. Oh, I thought you said you Um, remembered it. I I do, but I don't remember the details. The details always get hazy. The best scene in the movie, uh, creep-wise, to me, is the scene where they realize, finally, Nicole Kidman admits that ghosts exist. You know, she's had to break through that barrier on her Catholicism. She realizes that when she sees in the book, cause this is at the point where Mrs. Mills says it's time. Like she looks at Mr. Tuttle and she said, if that's the way she wants to be, cause they've been kicked out of the house. Yeah. She's like, if that's the way she wants to be, it's full on. She says, uncover the graves. Cause she wants them to know what's going on now. Yeah. And so she finds the book with them all dead in it. And then she starts to freak out. The kids are already outside. They have decided to go out in the middle of the night and play. And, uh, they happen upon the, the, you know, the graves, 
uh, the little boy is not like, you know, he, he's not quite there. It's Anne that's reading the, the cemetery, you know, or the, the actual gravestones, tombstones. And you see, and there's a scene of Lydia, you know, Mrs. Mills and, and uh, Mr. Tuttle, and they're walking toward, you know, the little boy. And it's just the way that the scene is framed. It's at night, the fog. It's really creepy. It's yeah. like, you know, because, you know, at that point, you still think the kids are at least alive. And, you know, and so you see what, you know, you know, you know, at this point are for sure spirits and they're kind of slowly walking up like they're going to attack this boy. And then like, that's the scene that stands out to me as far as like the creepiest scene in the movie, because that's right before the reveal. Yeah. um, And they come at him kind of in a slow, sinister way. But at the same time, now that in perspective, you kind of know, like, oh, they're just there to kind of inform them. Hey. Yeah. By the yeah, way, they're, y'all they're dead. Just, yeah, they're just slowly walking up on the kids, let them know it's like, it's okay now. You you can be in the sunlight, you know, that because that's the reason that they've been kicked out of the house is because when suddenly when Grace comes in, all the curtains are gone off all the windows. Yeah. And I guess that's because in the real world, the wife had become so upset with, like, constant, like, things moving and this and then her son like speaking to this you know these ghost children that she just said you know like f it and she pulled down all the curtains in the because she was getting ready for them to move away from it yeah and um and so like that causes grace to freak out and like she thinks that you know mrs mills and 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 the rest of them are you know out to hurt her kids when and and you know and that kind of spurs on them to say okay it's time for her to realize where she's at and what's going on you know (laughs) Um, oh God, what was I going to say? It was, she knew she was just in denial about it. She, yeah, well, she knew in the back of her mind, but like she didn't want to admit it because like, you know, that also went against her Catholic faith about her killing herself, you know, or murder two of her children. But, you know, how do, how do, I just don't understand how Catholics maybe back then didn't believe in ghosts. It's literally the father, the son and the Holy ghost. Come on. (laughs) <laughs> the holy ghost not a ghost it's still a yeah. ghost <laughs> you get, you the funny thing is is there's actually i think there's like a line in the bible if i remember right where it's like in the old testament where it's it ta- i mean it talks about an occult such in, in a manner meaning that you know if you see this sort of thing you're something evil with you <laughs> but there was like a medium who spoke to spirits and you know of the dead and th- that's actually in the old testament so i don't know why you know modern day christians are like there's no, it's like your own book says there was, you know, <laughs> if you want to go that route. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, but anyways, uh, are you all ready to go into the trivia section? Yeah, let's get into some trivia. So Nicole Kidman originally tried to persuade Alejandro Aminabar and the Weinstein brothers, which... <laughs> <laughs> oh! <laughs> To find another actress for the part, uh, coming off of Moulin Rouge, uh, the actress was initially reluctant to do a film that explored such dark places. Um, she actually quit during the rehearsals, uh, as because and her reason was is that playing Grace gave her nightmares. She got basically got so into the part that like it started to affect her emotionally, like in real life. And I guess her split with Tom was probably not helping that, but you know, like. She, it, she just really got to a dark place, like, living in this character's shoes, basically. I wonder if it was really the whole divorce thing and she was using that as an excuse. Because I, that's a really good excuse. Like, oh, my God, it's, like, taking its toll me. And I'm not saying that it didn't, but this is not. I think Heath Ledger. Look, look we're getting down in the, in the dirt doing his character led him. That 
was way darker than this, though. Uh, this was. It's apparent well, that murdered both the kids. kids. I mean. <laughs> yeah, but like uh, she's not playing that majority of the film. She's just realizing at the end of the film. Well, it's like Noah said, though the character knows she's in yeah. denial, like through the whole thing. And and so Nicole Kidman, if she's you know that good of an actress, she had to play with the aspect of knowing that her character knew that too mm. to a certain degree. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Uh, Maybe, but I agree with you. I, I, I think there's more than just this that played into it. Yeah. Um, the disease that children have is an actual disease known as xeroderma uh, pigmen pigmentosum, which is uh, basically an extreme sensitivity to sunlight. It is very rare, with roughly a thousand people in the world who have it. Um, and basically, what it amounts to is when they get out in the sun, I, I believe it's it's like extreme, like skin cancer and burning, like instantly. Like, oh my that's god, how bad it is. Is there They're any vampires? Yeah, I mean, other than covering up with certain types of clothing, because I know there's types of clothing you can wear now. Is there anything else? Is there any like sunblock that you can use, or is I mean, just, just no hope? Yeah, just right. Well, using like a very large umbrella if you go outside, like a vampire would. I mean, that's <laughs> literally it. <laughs> Basically, they're vampires. Um. And that, honestly, that condition might have spurred vamp- vampirism like the way that we know it. I mean, seriously, that, that could have been a thing that people knew about, like randomly happened, Bram Stoker worked it in, and there you go. Um, okay, uh, so wait a second. How far back was this discovered? Well, people have had this for like, I mean, a long time. I mean, it's not like a new condition. It's just most people back in the older days died fairly young with it because obviously you – you wouldn't go survive long if you, you know, had that kind of problem in the sun. Yeah. It, it probably survived better in the northern climates. Like, there was more likely people who survived in the, you know, older ages and were able to spread it, you know, like that way. I mean, or, you know, like procreate and, you know, pass on their genes. But, you know, like, it, it's been out there for a while. Okay. Uh, in a pivotal scene, Grace finds a photograph album containing pictures of people she believed to be sleeping. Uh, Mrs. Mills informs her they are all deceased, and that the people photographed uh, the and that people photographed the deceased in the previous or the nineteenth century. It is mentioned that the photo album is a book of the dead, photos taken of those who passed on, so they can leave, live through the photograph. Uh, the discussion makes it seem as if there was something done by superstitious people, but that's not necessarily true. In reality, people uh, did photograph their deceased loved ones during the late 19th century, but that's because during Victorian times, photos were very costly and people could not afford them. So that the and and the only way that they was going to have a photograph of the person that that died was to get it, you know, obviously upon their deathbed. I mean, and that's why they did that. Oh, okay. Um, it was like your last memento. It's like the one way to remember them before, you know, it was not like today where you can just snap a photograph at any point in time and just remember them. Yeah. Well, and what I was, I was going <laughs> to say about that earlier, I had lost my wording, but who was taking pictures of the maid, her husband, and her daughter? Like, n- yeah, who's wasting money on that? Yeah. Th- that was. <laughs> <laughs> Because they did have a picture. Uh, Don't take pictures of the help. What are you doing? (laughs) And maybe they did. Maybe they were good help, and I could totally see them wanting to do that. But who are they going to give that to? Because usually that went to the family. It's like, oh, I'm going to remember Helga. She was fucking, she really scrubbed my floorboards, you know? (laughs) <laughs> listen if they i mean obviously i mean yeah, i agree with you but uh, if if those three were that devoted to the household that they stayed like they said in the movie when everybody else left the household mm-hmm. and they were the last staff left there in the waning days of whatever the previous owner you know or you know previous 
two or three back owners like, you know, time there was, then, I mean, there was enough, you know, care between them and the owner of the house that, you know, relationship wise. Yeah. There was also a time back in the day, and I tend to forget this, that housekeepers came with the house. Like when the owners left, though, they stayed and like belonged to the next group of people that moved in, which is. That's, That's been in several movies that we've covered, like the house on Haunted Hill and all that stuff. Or, I mean, or the haunting, I guess, you know, and like all that stuff. Like it's, you know, like the the help stays, you know, after everybody else is gone and kind of, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. I have not yet found a house like that. I am looking um, <laughs> where it comes with a housekeeper. Really? <laughs> that would be yeah, amazing. Yeah, you'll, you'll find that and you'll find out they're actually dead whenever you go up in the attic and find the book. And As like, long oh, as they're scrubbing my floorboards, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Don't believe her. Um, this is weird. Pupils were p- often painted onto the closed eyes after developing, and occasionally a hint of paint was added to the cheeks to make the person appear more alive. Yes. Uh, some were, <laughs> were posed with favorite objects, children with favorite playthings, adults with books or newspapers. Uh, and, of course, there's many websites devoted to this history and practice. Um there's actually like uh, my old Kentucky home here in Kentucky has in Bardstown has like a, a Victorian Halloween thing that they do where they discuss a lot of Victorian like death and you know and and burial rituals that they did at the time. That's pretty interesting. That is it's worth going through the tour at least once for that. Oh really? It's a tour. Yeah, it's like you go through the house and they have it set up like it would have been on the day of like somebody's death. And like, of course, they've got all the, the, the mirrors covered up and, you know, draped in bales because they believed if there was any kind of, you know, mirrors in the house that the spirits would like, you know, get trapped inside, you know, and, and they wouldn't be able to make their way to the afterlife. And I don't, it goes through all that stuff, you know. Sacramento used to have something like that years ago. Old in- Auburn has it. Oh, I, does I try still? to sign up for it every year. It's really hard to get into. Yeah, Sacramento used to have something like that, but now, like, what a lot of the Victorian homes are at now in Sacramento, dude, the homeless overrun the area. Uh, oh, gee. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's scarier than any ghost that yeah. might be still in yeah. places. <laughs> it's a combination of real and fake. Like, is that a real body? Oh, my God, it is. <laughs> it's moving. It's a zombie. <laughs> Um, to get the kids worked up, uh, Alejandro would uh, play scary music when they weren't expecting it. Well, that's better than shooting a pistol off like oh, I believe Freakin' did in The Exorcist. The Exorcist. So <laughs> <laughs> um, the movie opens with Cole Kidman in voiceover reading a story. She begins with the words, Now, children, are you sitting comfortably? Uh, then I'll begin. The BBC radio program, Listen with Mother, broadcast in the UK between 50, 1950 and 1982, also began with, Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. So they kind of took that from that. Were Nicole um, Kidman and, and Tom Cruise into the BBC? I guess. Like, they really it must sounds love like they British were. stuff. Or, yeah. Uh, we got to remember. Supposedly. The, the BBC is like the biggest broadcasting thing. Oh, yes. There's so, a whole fucking song about it. I, I know, but if it's, <laughs> if it's the media empire, you want to get in good with them so you can get advertising and different stuff like in that. In fact, aren't There's all their por- channels just called BBC, like, and then a number? So BBC, BBC 1, one BBC, BBC 2, two BBC 3, yeah, well, BBC the, 4. Well, the government actually owns the media over there. <laughs> no, There's it, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, um, I think the only thing that you have outside of that is Sky News is the only thing that's outside of the control of the of the government for media. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Sky and, Net um, News. You know, 
they're so popular. There's a porn named after them too, a, a style of porn. You know, <laughs> oh my god! Uh, the the house supposedly on the island of Jersey is actually located in the north of Spain, uh, and and that so and they kind of that's kind of where they filmed it at. But they kind of dressed it was close enough that they could dress it up. That's a gorgeous ass house. It really is uh, that whole area. I mean, it fit the part. I mean, I, I felt like it was. It could have been found in that setting. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Executive produced by Tom Cruise. This marked the last collaboration between him and Nicole Kidman prior to their divorce. Uh, their high-profile divorce was finalized the same week that the others was released. And um, let's see. And then Alejandro was uh, wanted to play with the shadows within the movie, so uh, sometimes scenes were actually just lit by candles in this, which is kind of cool. You yeah, know, that's badass. Really do that a whole lot. As long as they don't burn the whole set down and have to remove the doors, you know. <laughs> Those really? are expensive doors from England. Get them off the house. <laughs> What's what movie was that? That was the Changeling. The Changeling, yeah. Yeah, we reviewed the Changeling and the set. Everything was built except the doors were real, and so when the set caught on fire, they had to remove the doors. They're very expensive, like old doors. Oh yeah, handcrafted. Yeah, out of trees are thousands of years old, probably. Yeah. yeah. So like one of the guys, one of the was it a producer, or whatever, or a set director, he was fucking fanning flames off while he was fucking removing these doors. Yeah, well, there's no price on them, so if you had to own the price of that thing, yeah, it might excel the cost of the movie. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't get damaged at all. Like no heat damage, no fucking smoke damage, nothing. Or you could be like uh, in the Hateful Eight, where they gave Kurt Russell like this antique. Uh, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the company. Uh, it's not. It's not mandolin, but anyway, it's like this this antique uh, guitar, and then like he actually ma- smashes it in the scene because they didn't take the time to swap <gasps> it out with a prop, and he destroyed something that was worth like you know <laughs> thousands upon thousands of dollars and can never be replaced. <laughs> <laughs> it was replaced with some cold hard cash i imagine he literally looked at him and said my bad <laughs> i mean it was what could you do at that point yeah um the ghostly image appearing over grace's shoulders uh, resolves itself to a somber face and a painting in the wall the image is actually a detail specifically a close-up of the puritan man's face of the 1855 uh painting the the wounded cavalier by william shakespeare burton uh, and, and so that kind of ties in, you know, more of the history of the house. Um, this was the first film to ever receive the best film award at the Goyas, which is the Spanish uh, national film awards. And with not a single word of Spanish spoken in it. Wow. <laughs> yes. I love it. Uh, Alejandro originally wanted Emily Watson for the role of Grace. Uh, Jodie Foster and Catherine McCormick were also considered. Yeah. I don't know I don't... about Jodie Foster. Josie Jodie Foster could not have pulled this movie off. I'm yeah, sorry. I, I don't she think so have. either. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know that anyone could. Nicole Kidman is all just so ghostly in nature in general. She's so fucking yeah. pale, you know. And I think the circumstances, like we said, of what was going on in her life at the time, added to the part whether she brought that in consciously or unconsciously. I mean, it's you, you would have been hard pressed to find somebody in that kind of state of mind that could have played the part the way she did. Yeah. Emily Watson though, she definitely has a Victorian age look to her or naturally. So mm-hmm. that might've worked. Beat? Kind of. 
I mean, <laughs> as the film goes on in this, Nicole Kidman goes from clean and put together to looking as beat as Nicole Kidman is going to look. I mean, the woman rarely ages. She doesn't. Uh, she's got zero dirt, whatever. She's got the fucking disease. She doesn't ever go out in the sun. That or adrenochrome, but we won't get into that. Right that now. too. Yeah, maybe it's both. <laughs> Why not both? Uh Alejandro cast Nicole Kidman in the in the lead role, having been a fan of her since To Die For in 1995. Um, and then Nicole pressed for the hiring of Eric Sykes, as I said, as Edmund Tuttle as she and then husband Tom Cruise had twice been hugely impressed by his theater work. So, and one of the, his two, two things that, sh- that they had saw was School for Wives and Kafka's Dick. So there you go. <laughs> Okie dokie. You think Alejandro had a crush on Nicole Kidman? Yeah. Alejandro must have really liked Nicole Kidman. And that's I, why he wanted her in the movie. Oh, uh, yeah. I think he was excited that they were getting divorced. Oh, yeah. It's like, you can work that in a little bit. Yeah. Um, the name of the gardener caretaker, Mr. Tuttle, is the name of the gardener caretaker at George C. Scott's haunted house in The Changeling. It also features the automatic writing from that film as a plot point. Um, so we already discussed this. This movie kind of stole from, you know, the, or at least was inspired by The Changeling. Well, they actually took the name of the help from that movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Alakina Mann and James Bentley were cast after an intensive search that encompassed 5,000 oh, children. Shit. James Bentley was cast right away, which is surprising, uh, but uh, Alakina Mann took longer. The filmmakers wanted someone who'd be a strong opposite uh, to Nicole Kidman. And she she does, for the most part, she stands, I mean, like, you can see that they'd be mother and daughter, like, they're pretty forceful personalities. Yeah, I think that works pretty well. And, and, well, I'm sure you'll get into the makeup of, well, non-makeup effects, I guess, because she looks like Nicole Kidman. Uh, this was Renee Asherson's, uh, you know, the old lady was the psychic's uh, final acting role before her death on October 30th, 2014, at the age of 99 years old. Wow. Oh, shit. <laughs> so she was in her late 90s when she did this part. Didn't even get to go trick-or-treating uh, that year. I bet you she was pissed. Or actually, no, she would have been in her 80s. But, like, yeah, she was uh, way up there in age. Uh Alejandro based a lot of the script on his Catholic school education. Uh, he is now agnostic. So mm. there you go. <laughs> what happened? I don't know. It's something about, you know, the, maybe something happened in, you know, his uh, Catholic school. Perhaps. Things, you know, perhaps. The script was written uh, in Spanish and then translated in English. It was uh, Alejandro's first English language film, and uh, he had to have a lot of translators to help him get the points across. But, you know, I, I feel like it worked. I mean, since he couldn't speak a lick of English and none of the people that he was directing could speak Spanish. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. And he, like I hate to say it, he looks like someone who does not speak any English. <laughs> Damn. I can say that. I'm Hispanic. Just calling them out there. Uh, He based the look of the movie on drawings from books in the 30s and 40s that he read as a child. Mm. Um, The film earned over $200 making it one of the highest-grossing horror movies of all time. This is the highest-grossing Spanish film uh, in the all-time worldwide box office history as of May 2006. uh, Or at the time of filming, it was the highest, and now it's like 265th. Wow. I mean... It was the highest grossing Spanish film, not horror film, but Spanish film at the time that it was released. So that's that's something, you know, that's yeah. pretty up there. I mean, 
the film opened in the U.S. at number four in the box office charts and stayed around that figure for its initial run. Seven weeks into the release, it actually climbed up to the number two spot. So this gained traction over time, which is you take a look at Love and Thunder, and it's like that movie dropped like a rock like after its first week being out. And yeah. It cost way more money, so I'm sure Disney's not too happy right now. Oh, my God. Uh, Alejandro told Elaine Cassidy, Lydia, uh, that's, that it's in her character to always be one step behind Mrs. Mills. So she's always, you know, if you see her in the movie, she's always following around Mrs. Mills. That's what she does. Hmm. Um, it, this movie is a weird cross section of production cultures. It stars an Australian woman playing an English woman. Yeah. Uh, it's written director, written and directed by a Spaniard, backed by Americans, and set in Jersey, but filmed in Spain. So there you go. <laughs> uh, it was released a few months prior to Vanilla Sky, uh, which is the American remake of Alejandro's uh, previous film, Open Your Eyes, and coincidentally, it stars Nicole Kidman's then-estranged uh, husband, Tom Cruise. So there's a lot of cross-pollination between, you know, uh, Alejandro and the and the cruises at that time. Hmm. I actually um, like that movie, and, Vanilla Sky. I don't know what was your opinion about that. I only remember watching it once, and it was and I wasn't in the right frame of mind to watch it because I, I remember I just like I couldn't understand what I was watching at the time. I was just like okay, and I think I'd probably appreciate it more if I watched it now. Okay, because I feel like it was a little out there. Like I, I oh, was, I was like okay. <laughs> this might come as a shocker to you guys, but I have not seen it. Uh, that shocks me right to the core, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Although the main characters are shown sitting at a table with food and drink, only one of them is seen putting food or drink in her mouth in a, in a single shot. This would be Anne, who sips from her bowl at the end of the breakfast uh, table scene in the home release version only. So even in the scene where she says that the food tastes is funny, you don't actually see her really eating the food. Yeah. Um, Grace expresses the importance of locking one door before opening the next, uh, but and often it shows her unlocking doors, but only closing them carefully, not locking them. So yeah. she does, Mega Karen doesn't follow her own rules, people. Like, come on. What is up with the keys? <laughs> is that ever explained in this film? It was her way of keeping the kids, like, from roaming because she was afraid that if they didn't lock the doors and keep them locked in their particular areas that they would find their way to where sunlight was at and then, you know burn alive basically it was so weird <laughs> it was weird and it was i don't know it's just one of those weird things like i mean that that's not really explained a whole lot but that just adds to like the mystery of her character i guess yeah uh and description and the little girl's description of what ghosts look like i you know i.e people under white sheets with chains might be a reference to charles dickens novel a christmas carol um, and this could be reinforced by the fact that Anne said she had read the description in a book. So they yeah. kind of based some of that on that story. Uh, just like last time, Bollywood has a remake called Oh My God Con High that was made in 2004. I don't understand how Bollywood has versions of these movies unless Bollywood does not have movies where they sing and dance the entire time because I thought that's all Bollywood was. No, 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 no. That's the most popular of the films. But yes, they do actually have horror films. They have romance films. They have their horror stuff sucks so bad. Have you tried watching? (laughs) So Netflix has a small, uh, a couple of their uh, independent horror movies and and horror TV shows. They are so, okay. it it's like something you would have seen, like a storyline arc you would have seen as something from like the f- 60s from here. 
Okay, so they're culturally they're behind us, and they they that's their version of horror is kind of like way behind the times versus. Oh, ours. big time, dude! Like, it's it it's. I tried to watch it. I was just like, well, I'll give the story the benefit of the doubt. No, the story's horrible too. You know, we were laughing because they have a Bollywood version of the entity, and we were like, "Is that allowed in that country?" <laughs> it's actually promoted in that country. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, though not an adaptation of Henry James' novel of The Turn of the Screw, uh, this movie, uh, this film uh, borrows from the famous ghost story's themes, and its title seems to be a reference to the novelist referencing the servant apparitions as the others, um, which we will be covering before too much longer something that is based on The Turn of the Screw. There's actually been several movies and the TV show that are based on that. Uh, Matteo Gill, screenwriter of Alejandro's previous film, Open Your Eyes, cameos here as one of the dead men and the photographs in the album. So, yeah. and, uh, and then Alejandro also appears. He's the one that's got the mustache at, on the right side <laughs> in one of the, the pictures of the three men. Yeah, that was weird, the three men. I'm like, there's three random men. Let's take their picture <laughs> together. Uh, the basis for this movie is from an episode of British television series, Armchair Theater, that came out in 1956. The episode is not is called The Others, uh, that was filmed in 1970, and uh, and it was also remade as uh, as Voices in 1973. This version is more elaborate, but the story is nearly the same. So this is basically like a redux of a television production in a way, which is very interesting. Uh, they don't normally do that. Uh, when the wandering Charles arrives home, escorted by Grace, he meets uh, Mister or Mrs. Mills, later revealed to be another person among the dead. When he approaches Grace in the fog, and as he enters the room to get greet his children, Charles' footsteps produce a sound not unlike the clanking of chains, which Anne had previously mentioned was a telltale trait of ghosts. So they were hinting that he was dead, even in that scene, with just the sound. Yeah, but sound, no one like else's feet sound like that in their ghosts. But maybe I don't know. I have no. I have well, nothing. You got to remember in Dickens' tale, it was only the people who were like weighed down by the guilt of what they did in life that had the chains. So maybe her husband was, you know, suffering from that. Funny that she's not, considering what she did to her children. But we'll we'll leave that alone. Let's not talk about (laughs) that. Let's talk about other shit. When Mrs. Mills and Mr. Tuttle are covered up, uh, are covering up the three gravestones, a Celtic cross can be seen emerging from them. The Celtic cross is a version of the Christian cross that is particularly common in Ireland. And since Mrs. Mills speaks with an Irish accent, that's a subtle clue that the gravestone is actually hers. Um, and when, and later on, when the, Anne is looking at the gravestones, it's actually that is the one that's Mrs. Mills' tombstone, which is kind of a, a good point to link yeah. them together. Um. So what I read about the kids, um, because I'm not seeing it here in my notes, is they actually had these kids locked up without sunlight for up to 30 days prior to filming to keep them and only allowed them outside to play at night uh, so that they would get the least amount of sun possible while they were filming this movie. Yeah. And the parents were okay (laughs) with that. I guess. Um now, they did add some extra white makeup to the kids' faces to kind of hint the movie's twist, but the, they kept them as pale as possible by not allowing them out in the sun while they were doing the production of the movie. Wow. <laughs> it's like you can go out and play, but only at nighttime, kids. Yeah. Here you go. Here's some coffee. <laughs> and uh, in the scene where Grace is loading the shotgun for the first time, she can be seen pausing in a, in a 
kind of a moment where she's kind of, you know, remembering something uh, after she slams the breach shut. This is most likely due to her faint realization or deja vu, you know, that she committed suicide by using the same gun. So yeah. that's a nice little tie-in. Which she said she pointed it straight at her forehead, and I'm like, I mean, I guess that could work, but that's a long barrel. You got your arms. I mean, like, how do you do are that? Are you saying are you saying that whoever killed Kurt Cobain went back in time and killed this poor lady yes. after she murdered her children? Is that what you're trying to insinuate? Yes. <laughs> Unless she did it old fashioned and did it with her toe, you know? <laughs> what were her arms long enough? I mean, or her, and, and then she had tennis shoes on at the time. Let, let's discuss this right now. You know? <laughs> Shut up. Um, so do you want to move on to the next movie yeah let's do it all right uh the sixth sense came out in 1999 directed and written by m not shamalian uh shamalian i guess uh i, I looked as I, I looked up pronunciation of this i think it's Sh- Shyamalan, isn't it it's Shyamalan. there you go yeah uh, the music was by James Newton Howard, uh, made for a budget of forty million U.S. dollars, made six hundred and seventy-two point eight million dollars U.S. God damn, killing it! This, but this this gave him the ability to make all those other shitty movies. <laughs> it also gave Disney the ability to make all their shitty movies. I mean, you got to remember they made this. So, oh, I didn't realize Disney made it. Yeah, this is uh, one of their under their. Um, I believe it was under their Touchstone or yeah. their okay. you know brand that they used to have. Principal players: Bruce Willis, who plays Malcolm Crow, who was also one of our rankings, our previous rankings on our Ghost Scale. He was at, uh, firmly at number three. Um, plays child psychologist, unhappy husband, and spoiler: he's a dead guy. <laughs> uh, of course, known for Die Hard and all of them. I, I think he's in all the sequels. Uh, probably shouldn't have made them after three, and some might have said after the first one, but, you know, leave you, that where You know, at. one of my favorite movies that he was in and people shit on it all the time is Hudson Hawk. Yeah, I got that listed here. I actually enjoy Hudson Hawk. It's a ba- it's a good, bad movie. I, I, think, I think Bruce Willis is awesome in the movie. You can tell, well, listen, if you watch Bruce Willis's movies, you can tell, clearly tell that some of them, um, he did just for the paycheck. Like he is checked out of them. He doesn't care. God bless him. Like nowadays, if you see a bunch of his direct to video ones he did for Redbox, he was actually doing those because he's got like this neurological disease where he's not gonna be able to speak for much longer. And he's also got like, you know, he can't remember lines anymore. So that he was doing all that real quick to like have money for it, you know, to leave like I mean, he's probably got money, but like to have more money for his kids, you know, to leave to him. And so that's bad. But, like, there was clearly waving before that, like some of the later diehards and all that, where you tell he was just checked out and getting a paycheck for him. But in Hudson Hawk, rounding it, circling it back, he was having fun the entire time he was there. Oh, movie. yeah. He loved that movie. I, I, I don't care what people say. Like, the critics smashed it and stuff like that. It's stupid. I thought it was a pretty good movie. I enjoy it. I, I watch it whenever I, I catch it on. Like it's it's that's the reason I listed it in the notes here because I don't feel like a lot of people give it credit because it's it's so pan. But I, yeah, I, he was he was a badass uh, cat burglar in that movie. I don't. I think it was he was people like crapped on it, but I thought I thought they did a, he did a good job with the movie. Um, he's in Armageddon. Uh, I mean, that's one of the big ones from you know the late nineties, I believe. You know that came out. I hate that movie. Uh, 
I hate that movie with a passion. <laughs> you don't want to miss a thing? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Dude. <laughs> I I just that movie was so bad. Uh yeah, it's I, it's not one that I go back and watch. Um he was in Pulp Fiction. Uh he wasn't in uh he was only in it for a little bit, but he was in that movie. Pulp Fiction actually uh, brought him back to the limelight, man. Like he was kind of falling out. Him and John Travolta were kind of like Laying low, low on the radar. Then they put that movie out, and they got a, a ton of movies from that. Yeah, he well, Sin City was one of them for sure that he got after that. I mean, that you know, that's one of the ones he did afterward because Robert Rodriguez, you know, and then Quentin Tarantino, they're you know, they're good buddies. So, I mean, they you know, they kind of, I mean, you know, since he was a Pulp Fiction, that's kind of where you know he got how he got into Sin City. Uh, Looper is a good movie that a lot of people don't get credit yeah, for. That's a hell of a good movie too. Uh, I would say that uh, was it uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and I believe is his name. I believe yeah. he does like the the bulk of the acting in the movie, but still Bruce well, Willis. They did a good job, a, a good job with the makeup to make him look like like younger Bruce Willis. They, oh they, yeah, they yeah. did. A, they did a good job of selling that that character. Uh, of course, he started out in Moonlighting, which was an old eighties you know television show. Um, Unbreakable is a really good movie from M. Night that that he was also in after this. So that I mean, and of course, you know that Unbreakable, you know, spend in the split and then Glass. So I mean, he's in all of those. Uh, he's in the best part of Grindhouse, which is the Planet Terror section that Robert Rodriguez done. Um, I I don't know. Death Proof's okay, but it's long and dull to me. What? So. I hate you. <sighs> Dude, I like Kurt yeah. Russell. He did a badass job of selling I love that Kurt character. Kurt Russell, but the thing is, is the first half of Death Proof is amazing, and then they switch the script and they focus on those girls in the second half of it. And he's like, you know, and then like turn and turn everything on him. And the scenes with him are good because he's such a pansy in that section of it. But like, oh, it, it, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like crying and stuff. I, it's not, I don't hate Death Proof. It's just one of those things where I watch it and I'm like, this is the, the first half of this is great. And then you kind of spin wheels for a little uh, bit before you get back into it. That scene when Rose McGowan gets in his car and he's explaining the car, he's, he's like, yeah, this car is death proof. But the thing about it, you got to be on this side of it to enjoy it. Oh, it's yeah. Like that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the reality of it sets in immediately like, oh, shit. I just love I Planet Terror to me though is just like the classic like I mean driving yeah. type of yeah big time the bad acting I mean and the fact that Bruce Willis doesn't care that he's in this movie adds to it she has know, a machine like, gun leg it's like the most over the top stuff yeah. it's it's a total grindhouse throwback eighties type of movie um he was also in Death Becomes Her. Have you ever seen that? Oh movie? my oh, yeah. god, I love that's that an movie. Awesome movie too. That that's a really good movie that doesn't get a lot of credit either. Uh, that's got to be a special, like special presentation or something. That, during zombie season, you're damn sure that's yeah. going to be a special presentation. Uh, and of course, Twelve Monkeys. I mean, he that is outside of the norm for him all the way around. Like, I mean, I, you know, I know Terry Gilliam directed, but I mean, and he's always got weird movies. But like, Twelve Monkeys stands out there as just like you know one of the the oddest turns that Bruce Willis has done in a movie. Um, we've got Haley Joe Osment, uh, which I, this is not his first role, but it's it's I mean, but like I mean, it's his breakout role to my knowledge. Uh, who plays Cole Sear, uh, child psychic, lonely kid, and has to put up with a lot of ghost bullshit in this movie. <laughs> you mean boo uh, shit? 
you know the thing you know the thing that got me about the movie when i was watching it and how bruce willis is all even killed talking to him like he's an adult i'm like that that doesn't happen it's giving me michael jackson well it's it's not even that but like the way he talks and interacts with the kid it's just like that's the thing that it's it's always a stretch for me when i see little kids interacting these way out by way outside their will box the wheelhouse conversations well, I would agree with you, except for the fact that this kid in particular, with a combination of shit he had going on where he was a psychic, was seeing ghosts, knew stuff that no kid should ever know, like, you know, knew that people were hanging, you know, on the outside of the school that he went to just because, or actually inside of it. But like, I mean, when it was prior, it was a courthouse. Like, you have to grow up quick if you're in a situation like that. There's no way you can be just a kid. Like, I it'll mean, change so, you. Yeah. Um, and I, and I gave him a lot of credit for that because like the fact that the way it was written, like, yeah, he was super intelligent and super above his age, but like given the circumstances he had to be because he wouldn't go survive otherwise. I mean, he was basically getting abused by these ghosts, like physically. Um, so, uh, Haley Joel Osment has been in a, uh, actually he's kind of had a renaissance here lately. I mean, he's been in a bunch of, bunch of shit recently, but like in, you know, around this time, you know, with this movie, he was like AI, he was in uh, secondhand lines. Uh, he was in pay it forward. One of my funniest things that I've ever seen from anything ever. He was in Walker, Texas Ranger and hit that one particular line where he tells Walker that he has AIDS <laughs> and if you've never seen it, you need you need to look it up. I mean, particularly the Conan O'Brien version because Conan O'Brien used to do a thing where he would pull lever and he would play a random scene from Walker, Texas Ranger. And a lot of them were duds, but the ones that hit, hit like fire. And this was the best one he ever did because it's taken out of context. It's just sitting there and they're all laughing. Uh, I think somebody looks like it might've been Wilford Brimley, but somebody looks like Wilford Brimley's like next to Haley Joel and then Walker and they're all laughing in a circle and then, and then they pause for a second. Haley Joe Osment looks up with a serious look on his face. He's like, Walker, I've got AIDS. And then like, and then the, the older guy looks like Wilford Brimley's like, well, uh, pardon my French, but I'll be damned. And like, that's the scene. That's out, totally out of context. It's hilarious. Like it has nothing to do with anything. Oh my God. You, you, you know what? It's funny. You say the movie secondhand lines, uh, dude, that's a hell of a good movie. Yeah, it's it's a good one. I mean, but it's also got, I mean, you got Michael Caine, you yeah, got um, yeah. Robert Duvall. I mean, you're it's and and Haley Joel Osment's a as a great child actor. He or he was, I guess, at the time. Like, I mean, he you know he just did a hor- he, last- he he just did a horror movie. I'm trying to think of what it was. Oh man, uh, there's one I've got later, Clara's Ghost. I don't know if that's the one you're thinking no, of. No, um, there's another one. Dang it, I wish I could remember it. He ends up getting killed here's something, in it. Here's something you might not know I didn't realize. He actually has done a ton, ton of voiceovers, and he plays Sora from the Kingdom Hearts games. And our the, son is playing that right now. He's oh, really? I did not yeah. know he did Sora's voice. Yes, that's Haley Joe Osment that's doing that voice. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge and franchise. He, yeah, it's a it's a, and and he also does the voice for uh, one of the camp counselors, I think, in the Jurassic World Camp Crustaceous that they've got out right now. Camp so. Crustaceous, I love that show. It's actually pretty good. <laughs> um, 
but yeah i mean i saw that and I, I just all the different voice acting roles that he's done and i was just like this is kind of crazy that i didn't realize he's been in all this stuff recently yeah he's gonna be in another uh, he's gonna be in a ninja turtles movie too that I, I i don't know if it's out yet or coming out this year oh yeah it's on netflix uh rise of the teenage mutant ninja turtles the movie okay so he's still active yeah. He was on a Hulu series that was pretty good uh, called Future Man. Like, he played kind of the pseudo bad guy in that, I believe. Um, did a really good job, you know. Uh, we have Tony Collette playing Lynn Sear, who's a single mother, worried for her son, and extreme skeptic. I mean, you see all that shit happening around you, and that you is still a, refuse to believe that. That's a young Tony Collette, man. Oh, and, and, and a MILF. Let's just throw it out there. She is She's pretty hot in this versus, I mean, you know, like what you see later. Um, she's in, uh, uh, been in Little Miss Sunshine, Knives Out, The Box Trolls, Hereditary, which is. Dude, Little Miss Sunshine has the, years. Little Miss Sunshine <laughs> has the ultimate twist at the end when she sings the song. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I did not see that coming. Uh, uh, she was in a, uh, biopic or fictional biopic movie about Hitchcock, uh, Alfred Hitchcock. And then, uh, she was in Fright Night. She played the mom in that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, re the remake. Of yeah. Course. The remake. And, uh, she was in Krampus as we've already discussed. Um, and she played the mom in that. So she, she's kind of, you know, pigeonholed into that mom role. It seems like. Did she play and the she mom in hereditary? hereditary? Yeah. I was going to say, psychotic, I, Matt. I have not seen Hereditary yet, but I, from what I know, she played the mom in that. Oh yeah, she's uh, she's out there in that that movie. We have Olivia Williams playing Anna Crow, who's the unhappy wife question mark cheating bitch question mark, and then haunted by her husband ultimately. Um, <laughs> and then she was in a movie called The Ghost Rider, and then of course her biggest role that most people know her from, other than this, is Rushmore because she played like I think the love interest at both Bill Murray. And um, I can't think of his name. The you know the uh, Owen Wilson, the the main actor. What's that? Not Owen Wilson. Who? It was. Um... It was the kid, but the the I can't remember his name. Like uh, he's like the son of the lady who played Adrian in the original Rocky movies. I, I know that about him, but I can't remember what his name is. Jason something. Hold on, um, I'm looking. He... Let's see, Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's kind of like he. It, she's the teacher, and like he's got the hots for her in that movie. And then like, but Bill Murray's the one that like I think if, if I remember right that she's kind of like hooking up with or something. That's the one where he's a med student. Yes, or yeah. portrays that he's a med student. Yeah, yeah. The uh, <laughs> OR scrubs. Oh, are they? Oh, are they? Yeah, that's the only <laughs> scene that movie that I got a half chuckle or that I half chuckled at. Like, I I don't know something about the 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 uh, West or is it Wes Anderson? Anyways, like those films, like I I their humor does not hit me right. Like I oh, talks about how they're the that means you didn't ever, like Steve Zazu, Life Aquatic. I couldn't get into it, man. I tried, oh, like, dude, I that just... movie is so funny. Everybody gets a pistol. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's like I don't know I like my comedy like dumb like I you know Will Ferrell's my level of comedy like you know I, uh, I like that uh, sharp comedy that you can't really tell if it's a joke or not it's like borderline like is what the funny thing is I like it's really dumb or I like it really like uh, dries in the British style of humor like okay you know, yeah yeah on like the, it's but 
I feel like the the like Rushmore and like all those movies like that are are in between, and they're just they they miss me every time. Well, it's hard to find the jokes in those because it's <laughs> it it it's absurd a type of behavior. So you're like, is that a joke or are they serious? Yeah, like the way the the world that they're playing it in is so absurd. It's like you don't know if yeah. they mean it as a joke or not. Uh, and of course, we got Donnie Wahlberg in this playing Vincent Gray, uh, who plays the troubled man at the beginning of the movie that actually shoots Bruce Willis's character. And um, and so and that was Donnie actually, Wahlberg. Yeah, that was Donnie Wahlberg. Whoa! He, he lost forty pounds to play that character. Dude, I did not know that was Donnie Wahlberg. I didn't. I didn't either until I started like fixing the notes up, and I kept hearing people say that they 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 keep being surprised that he's in this movie, but that's him. That's wild. Um, he was in uh, the movie by J- the first movie by James Wan called uh, Dead Silence, and uh, he was also in Saw Two and Saw Three, and of course, you know, New Kids on the Block. I mean, that's what everybody would know him from otherwise. But currently on the mixtape tour, and you, if you are a child of the '80s and the '90s, you need to go on that fucking tour i went on it a couple years ago fucking amazing <laughs> does he serve uh or does he have Wahlburgers uh souvenir stuff outside the show whenever he comes out of it <laughs> no but fun fact daphne and i almost went to Wahlburgers in uh las vegas because he has a he has in fact we almost sat down and ate and we're like ah we got shit to do let's go yeah i like Listen. don i like donnie Wahlberg. he's did a lot of really, really good movies Listen, Mark Wahlberg is a peacock, and you got to let him fly, folks. That's that's all you got to know. You got to <laughs> yes. let him fly. 